You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am here with Jason tonight. Hey, how's it going? We are missing Dan, who was knee-deep in Christmas wrapping paper, I assume right now, and probably mummified in tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you tissue. Know. And tissue exactly. paper and yeah, all that. Yeah, it's just everywhere. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. We have a fun episode tonight for you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be talking about uh, the new Warcry books and their impact on the skirmish game of Warcry. We obviously are big fans of Warcry here. Yep. And now that we've got some of these new books out, we want to kind of do a deeper dive into them to let you guys know what they're about, if they're good. Should you get them? That type of thing. So we're excited to share that with you. But first, of course, let's start with uh, Geek Week. Jason, how, how, how was your Geek Week? I had a fun Geek Week. I decided that I was going to play um, a video game all the way through this Ooh. this past weekend. So uh, I downloaded Carrion, which is a what they call it a reverse horror game. It's available on um, Xbox uh, Pass, Games Pass. I think it normally runs for about fifteen bucks, but uh, it's on the game. another good example of the Game Pass paying for itself in one right. game. But uh, it's a really fun game. It's it's one of those like retro graphic games, right? That's kind of an eight bit, but it's uh, it starts off you're deep in the belly of some science facility, and there's a uh, monster inside this like radioactive container, and all these scientists are like studying it, and you are the monster, and so oh, you awesome. break yeah you break out of the container, and you're this little grub, um you know like amoeba grub thing and you break out and you know break into vents and escape and you basically like eat capture and eat humans and as you eat them you grow bigger and <laughs> you can grow through various phases and it's a really fun game it's a puzzle at the at its heart it's like a puzzle maze game okay you know so you're basically trying to escape this facility from like being down in the belly of it uh, make your way to the surface uh, and get out. But what's great about the game is one, it's like the ret- it's a retro graphic style game, right? Yeah. But it um, it really they did an amazing job animating the alien. Like you get this very strong sense of uh, you know being this creeping thing in the dark that's in the vents. And then when the when the humans turn around, you break the vent open and grab them and suck them into the vent and like gnaw on them and there's blood going everywhere and bones are crunching and people are screaming and it's a great a great fun game if you like want to be the bad guy right that's fantastic it's it's hilarious and it's but and you know at first you think oh this game's super easy you just run around gobble up humans and you know um but it does get tough like the puzzles get tough and you 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 come up with you know you come up upon security forces that you have to kind of think through how do i you know, how do I tactfully get through this next area because they'll destroy me if I get too close. And it's a fun little game. I finished the whole thing in about five hours. Oh, nice. Uh, yep. Nice. So sat down and played it for, I think I played it on one on a Friday night. I started playing at eight and I played till like uh, midnight. And then on Saturday, I picked it up and finished in like another hour or something. But uh, a okay. lot of fun. Uh, if you got the games pass, definitely download it. It's, it's also really fun controls. I played it on the PC. Because, yeah, you know, the okay. games pass, um, you can do it on both Xbox and the PC. Yep. And on the PC, it was one of those games that's kind of like a mouse-only game. There's a couple of keys you push on the keyboard, but really easy to control, really fun, uh, really gory. And if you're, if, you ever, if you're a fan of, like, John Carpenter's The Thing 
or um, uh, Leviathan, those kinds of uh, old school horror movies. You you get the feeling that you are the monster in those movies. Nice. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Yep. Uh, last thing, second thing I did was I played Broforce with my girls, my okay. um, my five year old and my uh, uh, seven year old. They wanted to play a game, so I'm like, all right, let's play a game. So let's play some Broforce. And Broforce is a fun game. If any of you ever been a fan of Metal Slug. That kind of a side scroller, like shoot 'em yeah. game, shoot 'em yeah. up game. So Broforce is like that, except it's um, it's a fat, way faster pace, like maybe three times the speed of Metal Slug. Oh wow! And um, retro graphics again, but it's all about massive, over the top explosions and like death. So That's you're fantastic. running, you're running around through this thing, like shooting rockets, throwing dynamite, and just like the whole screen is like shaking half the time. Like you can't even tell what's going on because there's so many explosions, <laughs> right? And what's funny is that you've only got one hit point. It's one of those old school shooter games, so <laughs> you end up playing this thing and like dying. You're like, what happened? I have no idea, but let's just do it again. <laughs> you know, it just and it's so fun because you can play it. You know, I think you can play up to four players. Yeah. Um, and so I'm playing with my little five year old, and she, she, of course, she's got no idea what she's doing, but all she knows is that she's pushing the button and she's bullet seeing bullets flying, explosions, right? Yeah. And yeah. all I got to do is make sure we kind of inch across the level a little bit to the next checkpoint <laughs> for her to stay interested. <laughs> That's awesome. We, uh, I, I played a game. I mean, it, it's different than that, but still kind of like retro graphics a little bit. It was um, Castle Crashers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and my son. When he was younger, that's all he ever wanted to play. So I got to the point where I'm like, I I think the, I think we lost the game. It was like digitally downloaded on our Xbox. I'm like, I think we lost the game. I, I don't know where it is. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Castle Crash. Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where the disc is. <laughs> it was so. Yeah. It was so much. But you know what? Like he loved that thing so much. So you know. That's great. You're it. not even lying to your kid. I don't know where the disc is, son. Yeah. You sure, Dad? Yeah, no, I, I, you know what? I've never seen the disc. I don't know where it went. Never seen that. Disc. Never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Castle Crashers was a big, a really big fun one. That one had like a, um, it had like a co-op party mode where you would like, yeah, do little like like they had like soccer with swords and stuff like that. I think. Oh, that one was no, that the, was night um, night, that, night Crashers or something. Night. No, not not cra- Night uh, Crashers. Uh, it was kind of the same genre. Yeah, though. it was definitely. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my son also loved that one a ton. Yeah, that was that was one of those that was like an original. Like at one point, it like hit on Games Pass, and everybody downloaded it. Yeah, and could play yeah, it. A lot of uh, fun. The, the games with gold or something like that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Anyway, so that was a big part of my Geek Week. Nice, nice. Uh, for my Geek Week, um, did a couple of things. Uh, so first, I got a bunch of painting done for my kids. I'm each paint. I'm painting them each a model um, for Christmas. Uh, I took my son's D and D model that he has. He has a dragon, dragonborn um, or dragonkin warrior that he always plays with in D and D. And so I finally took a model that I gave him a while back, and I. Am I like the genre him. cross there, dragonborn. I mean, I dragon. Yeah, kin. exactly. <laughs> Stupid Skyrim. <laughs> <Guy room. laughs> <Roos>, ra. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <gasps> Yeah, <laughs> hoo, hoo ha! <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. I painted a little tiny leopard. Now this one was kind of challenging, and not for the reasons that you would think. Um, it is like a quarter the size of any miniature that I've painted. Like it's teeny because it's supposed it to be. It looked really small. 
Yeah, it's supposed to be a D&D. It's probably as tall as a quarter, if you stood a quarter on an inch. You know? Maybe even a nickel. I don't know. It's it's not that tall. But, I mean, the reason why is because it's supposed to go with the D&D minis, and it's supposed to be like your pet leopard. So it's, like, tiny, right? And so the tricky part was is that I had to paint all these spots on this leopard because my daughter was insistent that she has a pet leopard. And, man, getting those spots teeny was a challenge. Yeah. But um, it turned out super good. I'm very happy with it. I'm glad I didn't mess it up too much, you know, because I had the blend of the colors, like, perfect that I wanted. And then I'm like, okay, now it's time to put on the spots. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, I ended up putting on the um, magnifying goggles that make me look super hot, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. That that when my wife walks in with them on, she just turns around and is just like, I've never wanted you less in my entire life. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. All right. Well, you're making so, this easy on me tonight, honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going to bed. Yep. <laughs> Don't feel like joining me. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I got that painted. That was really good. Um, mostly done with the little dragon kin thing. And uh, I've got a baby Yoda I need to paint for my youngest. So my brother 3D printed a baby Yoda. And um, the nice thing is that it's actually the biggest, one of the biggest models I think I've painted in terms of like a single bust type character, you know, because um, the Baby Yoda itself is bigger than most of my uh, 28 millimeter models, you know. And, Did he have um, an FDM printer or, or a resin? A resin one. So Ooh, nice. it came out so smooth, so nice. nice. So um, smooth. Yeah, so smooth. So clean. And the nice thing is I think I'm going to be able to do most of it with an airbrush. There you go. So, yeah. Which, which, by the way. Oh, boy. Not even joking. Did you peek? No, my airbrush broke last week. Oh. Um, what happened is the uh, the trigger, it wouldn't blow air. Like if I kept pushing it down, mm-hmm. it wouldn't shoot the air out. And I yeah. disassembled it, reassembled it. I did everything I needed to do. And it would not trigger the air for that gun. Um, and so I tried to swap out the nozzle with another gun that I had that did work. And I ended up torquing it a little too hard and just snapping the nozzle off in the in the gun. Bummer. Yeah, so I ended up ordering a new airbrush gun. Merry and Christmas. So Merry Christmas to me, right? Yeah. That was on my list last week. Yeah, so there you go. It's yeah. got like um, three tips. It's got like a .2, a .3, and a .5. So are you gonna now? Are you gonna are you gonna wrap it under the tree for yourself? No, I'm already using it for Baby Yoda. Right so. there, you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Years ago, when I got my PSVR, I bought it. Um, I bought it around Christmas time, and I bought it off of a guy because he, uh, he unfortunately, he was just one of those guys who couldn't. Like he bought it oh. brand new, pre-ordered it, and it just it made him like super sick. Yeah. So it sucks. It really does suck, but. Um, but so I got a little bit of a discount just buying it right from him, like basically brand new. So I got it yeah. for him. I was like, I want to wrap this under the tree. It's going to be great. It's going to be my Christmas gift. Uh, so I talked to my wife about it. And then I was like, okay, but I got to make sure it works, right? <laughs> gotta, because, you know, I got it used off this guy. So I got to make sure it works. So at one point, at one point that night, Annie came upstairs and was like, okay, you got to stop playing with your Christmas gifts. <laughs> 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 So like, oh, like oh, do I have to? Yeah. Come on. So, so I had to put it back in the box and wrap it, and put it under the tree, and, and knowing that it was there for like another week and a half or something. Yeah. 
which kind of sucks because you want to pull right. it out and play it again. Yeah, but you cool. know, we can learn to be patient. We we can. We can try. <laughs> uh, let's see. I also um, am like super close to finishing AC Valhalla, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I've been putting way too much time into that thing. How um, is it? It's good. Um, so I like it a lot. Uh, so I didn't think that they could build upon AC Origins or AC Odyssey, but they did, um, which is kind of cool. So the fighting mechanics are similar. I would say that they're much improved, actually. Like, they sometimes aren't as clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they work really well, and it's really fun to fight with Viking, you know, weapons that actually kind of are cool. So, like, i got, like, dual spears, and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm, like, going crazy with dual spears. But it's fun to have two axes or a shield and an axe or a heavy axe, you know. So that's it's pretty cool. Um, the gear situation is probably the best of, especially the modern Assassin's Creed's, like the last four of them. Because yeah. you would start getting gear, and it was, like, the same gear over and over again. It was kind of the same thing with, like, Destiny. You know what I mean? Where there's only so many sets you can get, and you're just hoping that, like, the next one is going to be, like, a better RNG to get better stats on it. Well, they've got a great system for the gear here, which is there's only five sets of armor, I think, really, in the whole game. And you can collect them through treasure boxes that you find. And then what you can do is you find uh, ingots like iron or tungsten ingots and you can level them up. And then you can use like um, other metals and, and things like that to kind of so you so you find the ingots to level them up from like basic to rare to legendary, that type of thing, you know. And then you can use like iron that you collect in the world to kind of micro level them up to improve yeah. their stats a little bit. So um, what's cool is you're not managing a huge inventory of like weapons. Like I don't have like 80 spears and then they're telling me like you can't carry anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you only have like max like three spears or four spears that you are managing, you know. So um, it's pretty good. I, I really like it. The gear system's a lot better and um, the place feels a lot smoother in terms of like, I can stealth here. I cannot stealth here or oh, I got caught and going into combat. It doesn't feel like I'm going to just grind out an entire like garrison of people and murder them all just because I accidentally got spotted. Yeah. You, you know? know, I, it's, it's one of those franchises that I wish I had given a second chance, but I played the original uh-huh. Assassin's Creed and I really, really dug it for maybe three or four hours. Uh-huh. And then, you know, once the sci-fi twist happened, I was like, oh, this is cool. I like this. Yeah. But then, like, two more hours or so, and I was, like, just doing the exact same thing yeah, over yeah. and over. And, like, I, yep. that grind, I just never got back into the franchise yeah. after that. Which is a shame because I actually think that as much as I love the modern Assassin's Creed, I, I, at this point, it's nostalgia for... Assassin's uh-huh. Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations are like really good. And those are that's the Ezio trilogy, like the ones that are all set in Italy, yeah. pretty much, yeah. you know. And they're all, those are all really, really good. And the story is really, really good and a lot of fun. And then it got a little weird after that, you know. What was the colonial one? That's Assassin's Creed 3, which is arguably the worst. And that's my problem. Those. Is that as like, you know what, I'm going to give this franchise a try again. Oh, like no. I had gotten that one. Yeah. From like 
a graphics card that I had bought. Oh, yeah, see, ports. they were it's giving like, it away because yep, it was so yep. bad. And I was, I tried. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I gave up on it. So Assassin's Creed Three was was so bad, and they had so many problems in terms of like they're trying to have you climb trees, but there's only certain trees you could climb, and Ugh, you yeah. know, and it was just like, oh, guys, come on. You know, and the story made no sense. You're like, wait, George Washington is bad, but he's good, but he's bad. And you're like, wait, I don't understand what's happening here. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, that was that was one of the strengths about the um, Ezio line was that, like, Ezio, like, you were fighting against the Medici family who were the Templars. Like, you knew that. Like, you knew that there were, like, a faction of Italian dudes that were bad. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? With the colonial ones, you're like, well... Is it the British that are bad, or is it the Americans that are bad? And you couldn't tell because they didn't want to like straddle a line and say which country was bad in this conflict. So they tried to say there was a faction on both sides that were working together to further the war. So they could, you know what I mean? And you're like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. So, so anyway, uh, now you got me down an AC tangent. But they kind of redeemed themselves with uh, Black Flag, which was like the Caribbean pirate one. Okay, yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And then they got into other ones like, um, you know, AC Origins, uh, which was in Egypt. That was great. And AC um, Odyssey was great. The problem with Origins and Odyssey, though, and even not not so much Valhalla, but AC and Origins, uh, Origins and Odyssey, sorry, those two, the, the maps are so big. That you're just like, dude, I don't think I can finish this game. It's humongous. Like, it's so large. Yeah. And, again, the activities are very similar. Sneak into this camp and steal this thing. Right. You know? And you're just like, okay, how many times do I have to do these for all these territories? Wow, that's what, I mean, that's what killed, that's one of the things, I think, that killed the Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah. Oh, you would yeah. go to these planets, and the planets were so big, and it was just drive around and find some little posts that looked just like the other posts, except the entrance is on the other side. Right. And exactly. do the same thing. You know, it's like do Ugh. the exact same thing, and so yeah. it was the same puzzles. And you know, Dragon Age um, Origins. Uh, no, Dragon no, no, Age um, Inquisition. Yeah, Inquisition there was you go. very similar to that too. In fact, I think oh yeah, they modeled I, I didn't it. finish that either because of the same problem. You know what's sad about that is I finished that game um, after I had, I had left it for a long time, and I'm like the completionist in me wanted to finish Dragon yeah. Age. Mm. You know. Um, Dragon Age Inquisition, and the ending of that game was very good. Like, it, the story all came together, right. and there was, like, some great, great cinematics and storytelling right at the end, but boy, did you have to go through a slog to get there. Oh, yeah. I, I remember the thing that sh- I struggled with. I struggled with the combat system in that oh, game. Yeah. It, it felt so chaotic. Yes. It just yeah, felt it so good. chaotic. Um, <laughs> and I should have known that going into Andromeda when, you know, the same team, I think... Because I think they had the same team that worked on those two. Yep, yep. And I was like, oh boy. And sure enough, it was kind of just a little bit of a chaotic. But but we, you know, teaser for the future, right? We saw a trailer for another Mass Effect game on the horizon. That's true. That's true. And it, and it's supposed to be going back to the, is it a prequel? Uh, no, it takes place like right after three. Right after three, okay. Right yeah. after all the crazy like chaos war stuff that happened, you know? So, so right after the whatever choice you chose... <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right after everyone. Right after got the upset. red, green, or blue <laughs> ending. Yeah, exactly. Right after everybody got really mad. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the last, sorry, the last thing I did was um, I finished a novella called Dawn Shard, and it was written by Brandon Sanderson, and it's in the Stormlight Archive, and um, it's basically book 3.5. Because uh, book four just came out, so this novella came out just before that, and uh, it's like a little bridge book between between the two massive novels. Cool. So I finished that one in literally two days, and it was fantastic. And the thing I love about Brandon Sanderson is that this was like a trade mission, essentially, you know, that was going on, and he made a, such a compelling story over a trade mission. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, like. It, it was something very like the main character is a trader and she's from a trading cult sea trading seafaring culture, you know, and they prize like shipmasters who are like traders and things like that very well, highly. And they centered the story around her and the book worked fantastically and it was a great story. And it was one of those that I just couldn't put it down. And cool. I'm like, I'm reading about a trade mission and I can't stop. You know, so kudos to him because it was a great book and it was short, fun read. And now I'm I'm picking up the big book, um, the Rhythms of War that came out. So, question uh, uh, about how many pages was Don Shard? Do you think you probably read it digitally Um, though, right? How many pages was Don Shard? So I read it on Kindle, but I'm gonna look real quick because it'll tell you it'll tell you what it is, right? Like I guess word count or whatever. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, it's a novella, so. What are novellas? I think he They're said like... it was shy of forty thousand. Forty thousand words. Yeah, but he said it was almost um, a full novel. Gotcha. Let's see. Uh, page one hundred eleven out of two hundred eight. Oh, I guess it was only two hundred eight pages. Okay, so it's like a like a little paperback. Yeah. Paperbacks are about 250 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it was 208 pages. Again, like a novella, right? So yeah. Um, let's contrast that with his other book, The Rhythm of War. And I am on page 255. Or no, so that's the location. <laughs> 255 out of 24,750. Yeah. yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> oh, it's... Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Rhythm of War is 1,232 pages. And Don Shard, I'm going to give you the exact count because I found out where to where to look at it. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's 208 uh, pages, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So it's about a sixth of the big book. It's crazy, though. You get into a momentum. I watch my wife with this, right? And she gets into this momentum with her Kindle, and she just starts, you know, s- blasting through these books. Yeah. You know, it's just you, you get this pace going and you can just knock them out. And I will say that Brandon Sanderson is one of the best in terms of finding that rhythm. Man, you just find that groove and you're like, I got it. I got all the information I need from this yeah. scene. I'm invested. Next scene. And you're like, what is this? What are, what are we reading about? You know what I mean? And, and yeah. you just keep going through and you just turn and turn and turn. And next thing you know, you're like, Holy crap. I read that book in like four days and it's like 1200 pages, you know? So, yeah. And then you look around your kids are like, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm so I haven't hungry. eaten for two days. <laughs> yeah. There's dirty dishes piled up everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's like wearing their underwear inside out. Yeah. Toilet's been <laughs> overflowed in the basement for two days. Just pouring water into the basement. <laughs> oh crap. 
so funny so funny so yeah anyway i finished that um but i i really liked it and i love brandon sanderson big fan so yeah all right cool uh that was that was our geek week and so geek news time that was my that was my intro there we go all right so sony everyone should know this by now right sony started pulling cyberpunk 27.7 from its digital stores and issuing so their own refunds now the uh project uh was it red cd project red yeah yeah cd project red they started to in an effort to give back towards the community they started to issue their own refunds but sony said now nah, we're giving our own pulled the, yeah. pulled the plug giving their own xbox yeah. and is... i saw i saw that cd project red said yeah we'll reimburse sony for that yeah yeah so yeah. microsoft is is not pulled it from their store, but they are also issuing refunds. And GameStop, and this is telling, man. GameStop is accepting actual returns. Oh my here. gosh! And GameStop, you... the store who has never taken back right new stuff, right? Right. Here they did are. Did you uh, did you see that Microsoft put out like so they don't they didn't pull it from their digital store, but they've got this warning now that's like this game has a lot of bugs. <laughs> you know, play at your own discretion, and it's... I. I it's think, so interesting because there yeah. are tons of games that have come out that have been horrifying with bugs initially. I mean, listen, Bethesda is notorious for buggy games. You know, I mean, maybe not quite this bad, but I don't know. Are we in a weird? Are we in a weird phase now where it's like, is this the is this the new thing? Because you're right, we have had games that have been so buggy that sometimes they're unplayable. And, you know, then you have to wait for the hot fix that comes, like, you know, a week or two yeah. later. And, I mean, CD Projekt Red is already doing that. In fact, they did a big release, like, uh, yesterday or today or something like that that fixed a lot of the problems. Um, but, you know, I mean, are we are we just demanding more of the developers at this point? Like, I don't know. You know, and also, is it is it this waterfall stuck waterfall project management mentality of you know well you said it was going to be done and delivered on this date i'm sorry you're pushing it out on this date you know and it's just like you know because all i tell you every gamer that's gone through this right now says this totally sucks but if i could have waited three more weeks for them to fix this stuff you know but then you and then you say why didn't they just wait three weeks i'm sure they didn't wait three weeks because their their funding sources were probably like smashing them on the head you have delayed too long i don't care get it shipped because i need my revenue back we need this out before christmas yep we need it out before christmas and that crap happens in every industry and this is delayed already a year i mean it was delayed from last fall and then it then it was you know pushed to last spring and then it was delayed from last spring to this fall and it was even delayed. I think it was like pushed to September, and then even like eventually pushed to end of November, right? Yeah. And um, so reading the reports of what I'm seeing and hearing from my brother, it sounds like they focus like ninety percent of their development on the PC version of the game, and then they tried to port that over into the consoles. Yeah, they probably tried to just use the um, the um the library the shared libraries yep yeah called i can remember anyways yeah yeah and so they like because you're hearing on on pc like it's a little buggy but nothing nothing compared to like what you're seeing on the consoles yeah and um the next gen consoles like the ps5s and the xbox one uh xbox series x's they um are not having hardly any problems at all it's the 
original like day one Xboxes and the original PS4s, not the PS4 Pros or the Xbox One Xs or whatever. Um, they're they're having a little bit of problems, but it's the original ones, like the ones that came out in late 2013, 2014, that just struggle hard with this. And those are the ones that are asking for the most refunds because like it's almost unplayable on those older consoles. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've I have beta tested lots of games over the years. Uh, interesting story, actually. I beta tested the original Quake, which oh, was really? fun on a bulletin huh. board uh, back huh. in the day, a BBS back in the day. But uh, uh, but uh, anyways, I've beta tested many games where you get through a round of beta testing and then a closed beta, and then they ask for you know they have like a closed yeah. closed ticket system is where you could get online and. These are PC games. You get online yeah. and you could post, um, you know, issues that you found. And I tell you, there are a couple games I played where they did not make it past the closed beta. They would, they got all this closed beta out. You played the game. You see all these bugs. You submit all these tickets, and they were so overwhelmed with the massive amounts oh of issues gosh. that the funders just pulled the plug. Oof. Well, and and you saw you saw um, uh, around the time that Destiny came out that game developers started doing closed betas uh, for twofold reason. One, they wanted a big community for beta, right? Like big community. And two, they were starting to use it as a hype mechanism. You know, like where it's like, oh my gosh, the beta's coming out. Here, try the beta, try it out. See what, see how you like it. You know what I mean? And um, they did that for Destiny, remember? And then most of us were like, wait, that was that was that was like half the game. <laughs> you remember? Well, I th- we like, played. played I mean, the... we played an open beta for like two years, right? Isn't that the uh, oh, the running so, joke, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Because then they came out Destiny two, and you're like, oh, oh this that's was what Destiny. This is, that's yeah. what this is supposed to be, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. But it was really funny because remember, like, they started. Uh, there was a whole swath of games around that same time that were doing like, join the beta, and you could play the beta. It was like essentially the first like you know, several missions or something like that of a game. And it was really to get like the hype out there about, Oh yeah, I'm really excited for this. And you could only do it if you pre-ordered it. Remember? Right. And that's where it was. I think it's a third item. And that is that it's, it's a uh, funding source to help get them through to the end. Mm -hmm. You can join the bay open close beta if you pre-order and then they get the slush fund in that they can use to finish up the effort. Yep. So here's a, here's a funny, uh, funny thought and and you just raised it um i i agree with you that the funders the investors of cd project red said this game needs to get out our money has been sitting for too long you know what i mean and you're eating eating through too much of it but now they've turned around and sued cd project red i don't know if you saw this saying that it was a breach of material disclosure or something like that where um Basically, CD Projekt Red did not disclose fully what their product was, meaning that, <laughs> meaning that, uh, basically, it worked really well on the PC, and all the footage and stuff yeah. that they showed mm-hmm. was just PC, and that the promises that it would work on the console were not, you know, accurate. And so, um, the investors, this is probably the same people who pushed them to get it out, are now suing to get their money back. You know, so I think CD Projekt Red is in a world of hurt right now. Yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's, there are probably multiple sides of the story that, yeah, you know, uh, but uh, I think so too. And I, I, so the question, the question that I have about this is that what does it do for the develop, 
like a gaming development community as a whole. Like uh, one of these micro, like Ubisoft or um, like Microsoft Studios or something like that. Well, I think it. I'll tell you this. I think the quality of AAA games uh-huh. um, has suffered over the years, but I think the quality of the indie games has gone has skyrocketed. I agree. Yep. I think indie games have found an interesting niche too, in that they don't need to have like the world's best graphics. You can put out an eight-bit game and have it like take off. Yeah. I mean, look at dude. Look at Among Us. And how much that's taken off. Well, and, and yeah, the two things I was talking about, right? The Carrion yeah. and Broforce. I mean, those are both relatively small groups of people that just came out. So, you know, we're going to focus on something that's just fun to play. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we don't have the best polish, but it's just freaking fun to play. Well, you know, you saw Microsoft push back Halo Infinite from this year. Which would it? Which was supposed to be the game that was going to launch with the uh, Series X for a full year, and that happened after they showed some f- footage, like game footage, and mm-hmm. got roasted by the gaming community. They're like, "What is this? It looks worse than the original." Like, right? Yep. You know, <laughs> Combat Evolved game. Yeah. You know, and so the they're like, "Uh, three, four, three is like, uh, uh-huh. yeah, no, yeah. it's totally hey. just like our alpha footage." So oh, it's totally, like whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> it was uh, some concept uh, sketches. Yeah, exactly. Just you know, we're just throwing this out there just to get you a little yeah. teaser, just a little excited. So, yeah. but uh, you know, in other news, we're pushing this back a year. Right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of interesting. Um, I think studios like Rockstar, uh, you know, Bethesda. I think that they're kind of being put on notice by what happened with CD Projekt Red. That well, maybe, um, because the, I think there are some studios that have enough of a business. Uh-huh. They have enough of a, a good bit sound business under them that they they know what they know what to do. They know what to expect. Um, and I think they're willing to just invest. Like, for example, uh, uh, Red Dead Redemption series, yep. right? Like, wh- when did the what was the gap between those two Ooh, games? Uh, almost ten years. Yeah, and here's the thing: what was that company's cash cow during that whole period? Oh, it was totally um, GTA Five. Yeah, totally. And that it still game, is, it still is. They had a they had an established revenue stream that was just feeding their ability to just innovate and do it right. Yep. You yeah, know, not that, not to say that that Red Dead Redemption didn't have issues like everything else, but that game was pretty pretty. <laughs> Listen, I've got some I've got some clips of some hilarious bugs happening. <laughs> where like I ended up like running with my horse down a hill and up a little embankment, and I ended up doing a backflip with my horse over some telephone lines. Oh, the horses were the best. Yeah, so I mean, there were some great, there were some great moments. Like, but, and, but that's the thing is, like, we were talking about some of the bugs in 20, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven about how hilarious some, some of them yeah, were, so you know? it's entertainment. Yeah, and so um, I just think that obviously, like in the year of COVID, right, that game was the most highly anticipated game, maybe of the last five years, especially because of how Witcher three did. Right, they set themselves up for some monster success. Witcher Three was very, very good, very well done. Everybody loved it. I mean, it's got like a super high Metacritic score, right? And um, so the expectations were super high here. And to be honest with you, everything I hear about Cyberpunk twenty seven seven 
in terms of the writing and the voice acting and all that stuff is just like phenomenal on point but man the bugs just get in the way you know and it's really hard when you it's unplayable on an old console to really enjoy the voice acting yeah it (laughs) reminds me when the ps4 when the when the xbox uh i guess one right when the xbox one and the ps4 were getting ready to get released no, 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 backup, sorry, backup. Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 were getting ready to release. Man, I'm dating myself here even further back. But when those guys were coming out, one of the one of the games that uh, Sony was always pushing videos for to show how powerful the PS3 was going to be was Killzone 2. Oh, right, right. And Killzone yeah. 2, there was that one video they showed at E3 of of Killzone 2 and it was it was one of those games where like you know you feel like you're watching a cinematic and you're like okay this is a cool cinematic and all of a sudden you realize hold wait no this is gameplay you know yeah. and it it was so seamless and it felt like you were watching this movie and then it slowly started to leak out that oh yeah that was rendered at like 1 to 3 frames per second and then sped up to make yeah. the video when they showed it at E3 right and right and everyone was like Wait, what? Because they saw this trailer that was like this super fast action, fast fleshed yeah. game. And then when the game was released, it, it felt so like it. <laughs> clunky. It was so yeah. clunky, so slow. And it was funny because like you push right on the analog stick to look right. Uh-huh. And it literally was like one one thousand. Then you would turn right. <laughs> and I mean I had it. And and it was funny because the game came the developers came out and said Oh well, we wanted you to feel like you were wearing this huge combat outfit and uniform and armor, and it was really hard to move your guy. So it was intentional, and the the community was like, "No, nah, dude, we're not buying that." And, right. And so they released a patch, like you know, like a month later, that sped it up to now it was only like you know a quarter of a second. But yeah. still, that game was a super fun game. It was one of the most fun games I had yeah. in multiplayer. But you had to get used to it because it was not what you saw when that game when that when they showed those trailers. Right, and I kind of right. feel like that was Cyberpunk 2077. It's like they kind of pulled the sheep's, you know, the wool over the eyes here because they were like... They're showing PC footage. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, maybe there was a disclaimer here and there, but, uh, you know, it was not... Everyone was thinking that we're going to get this on the consoles and it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. And here we are. But anyways, we talked a lot about this. Yeah, yeah. Inter- it's, it's interesting because I, I do think that this is going to have some ripple effects for game developers in the future. I do think that a lot of the studios are going to be put on warning a little bit on how they're going to release their thing. That doesn't mean that games are not going to be buggy in the future. Every game is going to have its own issues, and some studios are going to get away with it better than others. Yeah. You know, uh, like Rockstar's got a little bit of a pass because they put out, you know, quality games. Um, I think Bethesda's starting to become a meme about bugs. Uh, (laughs) You know, so, uh, you know, but I think in the future, like, uh, it, investors and developers be warned, you know, like if you're going to put out a really buggy thing, there's going to be some backlash. And I think it's really interesting that Sony and Microsoft are basically saying, yeah, we're giving refunds. And by the way, like that's money that you're not going to recoup. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is probably the killer. I think that's, that's the biggest deal for developers because, um, you know, not like less revenue. Yep. Big time. So anyway, kind of interesting. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly. I wanted to touch on, and Dan's not here, so maybe after the holidays when you and your wife watch it, but I wanted to talk about The Mandalorian a little bit. The season two ended last Friday. 
um, eight episodes. So we have 16 total episodes. And I just want to basically express my absolute undying love for Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau, the creators of The Mandalorian, because they single-handedly have restored the Star Wars franchise. I, I, you know, and I've my my wife and I are planning to binge it over the holidays here. Yeah. We've been waiting. Um, and we really shouldn't wait to talk about Mandalorian when we have Dan on, just because it's Dan. But yeah. uh, but I've heard that the last episode in the Mandalorian was like one of the best things since the original trilogy. You know, and, what would you say? Uh, yes. Oh, hundred percent, absolutely. I mean, it restored the prequels. It restored, uh, you know, the last three movies. Um, you know, there was a great meme that I saw that showed J.J. Abrams. You know, and it had his quote of like, "Well, we can't, um, we can't bring in new audience, new younger audiences to Star Wars without having to rehash some of the old content." You know. AKA the force awakens is a complete mm-hmm. reboot of episode. Don't, four. don't go there. Don't I know, go I know, there. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> but you know, but that's JJ Abrams. And then it showed, um, it showed John Favreau and he goes, hold my beer. Yeah. You know, because I mean, he, <laughs> right. he's taken, he's taken the Mandalorian, which is like, I mean, if, if we're going to be honest, most star Wars audiences knew nothing about Mandalorians unless they'd watched the clone wars. Or unless you were hardcore like Dan Pomeroy, who knows Star Wars lore like in and out, has read all the novels and the comics and all that stuff, right? Your average watcher's like, oh, the guy that looks like Boba Fett, you know? And I think I kind of know Boba Fett's name, you know? And uh, and <laughs> right. so so you know it was great because you you're bringing in like old lore but it's new lore for people and you got a little baby yoda that's the hook and you got like all this Mm -hmm. stuff and you've got a great you've got an interesting compelling story you've got a great format for a serial you know which is basically like you know you've got a a thin thread that is tying everything together but every episode is kind of standalone and um yeah, I mean, it's just it, they they've got a great format for what's going on here, and people love it. I mean, I, here's the thing: love I, it. I wonder if because you know you think you were kind of doing the whole meme with J.J. Abrams and yeah. and uh, what's his name Fab? How do you say it? John Favreau. Favreau, yeah. that's right. Um, the medium is different here, right? Abrams has two hours, yeah, to do everything in that arc that for that movie. Uh, yeah. Favreau's got eight hours eight hours yeah essentially right so you have plenty of time to build the cathartic release to have the comic gesture to have the you know the 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 slower pace but then fast pace so i feel like i feel like with the tv series you have way more flexibility for really exploring and making it uh you know stronger you know, and that's and that's the case for like a bunch of HBO series like The Sopranos or The Wire or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Yeah. You've got like hours and hours of stuff to really like dive in deep, you yeah. know. Um and really you've got two, two and a half hours for a movie before audience is like, Well, this is way too long. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Um yeah. and so, you know, yes, yes, I agree with you. The medium I think helps tell the story a lot. But at the same time, the methodology is was that, no, we're going to assume Star Wars fans know their business. Um, 
and we've got some nice little Easter eggs for them. We've got we're tapping into some nice deep lore for the hardcore fans, but we also have a plot and story basic enough that your average watcher is going to get into it. Cool. You know, and so yeah. I think that you know you saw that in the first season, and then it was expanded upon in the second season. And, uh, you know, there's some epic, uh, the last three, so you talked about the last episode. Yes, it was such a great episode. The last three episodes though, were like paid dirt for the entire, for the entire season, let alone the first two seasons. You know, there's a great, uh, uh, there's one episode where, um, Bill Burr is, he was in the, you know, comedian, he was in the first season, he's in the second season in one episode, and he is fantastic, and that was a great episode, and, um, you know, it's just, there's so many things that are just like, okay, this is hitting on all the right notes, and they did such a great job with it, and uh, I honestly, I think that it, it saved the franchise, because I don't, I don't, think a lot of star wars fans really liked where the last trilogy was taking it interesting so i don't know i don't know how you feel about i I know lots of people who enjoyed the last three yeah but are they real star wars fans that really enjoyed it oh boy you're gonna go there are you a real star wars fan we're gonna qualify real star wars yeah listen listen what what is the criteria well but here's here's the funny thing i think if you ask dan pomeroy about the last three he'll say he really liked him i think if you ask dan flinton about it he says that he liked them not very much but we all know how you feel about him i know i i I can't stand (laughs) them but um but at the end of the day uh you know i think our buddy Sean Fielding made this point about the prequels. And he says, listen, more star Wars is more star Wars. Like, and I like it, you know? And I, okay. I get you. You know, there's so, so many different types of people because I can, I could do without the first three. Uh huh. Just, and, but I don't think it's the story. That's, and that's the thing for me. It's not the story. It's just, I just, there was no chemistry with the uh, yeah. cast. Yeah. 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 But anyways, <laughs> anyways, anyways, so Good listen, stuff. I think I think you know it, the other thing too is getting away from uh, the Star Wars saga and really exploring what the yeah. universe is. I think yep. was very a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people because it allowed people who like weren't like totally invested in the movies to jump into a Star Wars show and be like, hey, I don't have to know what happened with Luke and his sister and Han Solo and right. all this stuff like eight movies ago to know what's going on here. Like I just know there's Baby Yoda. <laughs> you know so it's funny how all the like hardcore fans tried so hard to say it's not a baby yoda yoda isn't a race and it just the rest of the world just said you know whatever it's baby yoda baby yoda <laughs> <laughs> exactly so good so anyway yeah. i listen it was uh, we'll talk we'll talk more depth in mandalorian later but this was just my big shout out because i thought it was fantastically well done and you know the fact that we brought in so many new Star Wars fans, I think, is telling about their ability to yeah. tell the story. You know, yeah, it's great. It's great. All right, what's our last news item, my friend? Uh, just real quick, uh, one exciting thing: Gen Con announced that they will do an in-person event next year in August. However, they are postponing bad registration so they they i think what we're, our takeaway our quick takeaway here is they've announced that they're going to do in person but they're just still paying attention and watching it to see what happens yeah yeah i you know i think this is the safest bet and uh knowing that gen con is planned for the first of august 
doing the back of the napkin math, you know, I think that that's enough time for people to get their vaccinations and feel comfortable yeah. again. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I, my badge is already paid for, right? Right, right. Yeah. I, it's just a refund from last year's. Yep. I think if this were um, like Origins, right, that's in June in Columbus, it'd be like, ooh, that seems a little risky, but beginning of August, two months later, feels like it could be a thing. I think uh, you know? I think it's possible. I, I'm curious to see how they are going to, what they're going to do to ensure this, that they're, um, the people who come feel safe. Uh, because that's a right. big thing, right? Is it's it's the it's perception one thing is, of it, right? Yes, the perception. Either way, depending on what side of the coin you sit on, it's yep. still the fact of the perception. Because this is a huge event that has had, you know, you know, fifty thousand people a day, right? You know, a day. Sometimes there. more, right? Yeah, yeah, sometimes more. How do you get that many people in a, an area after a global pandemic, even if the vaccine is out, and have them feel comfortable enough so right. that you can still bring in the revenue stream that you need? Right. Yep. It'll be curious just to watch to see what they do about that. Yeah, we had uh, friends suggest that you have to show like a reg- like a vaccination card, which fa- sounds like so like you know dystopian future. Here it is. You know, here it yeah. is. Yeah, let me see uh, your medical barcode tattoo. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, like that may be a way for people to feel safe. Like, well, they didn't let them in if they didn't have yeah, a card, yeah. you know. And so, like in, uh, con- was it containment or uh, what was that movie? Contagion. Contagion, yeah. Yeah, at the end they yeah. had to have the bracelets that showed they were vaccinated. Right, you know. I think it was so, a bracelet, yeah. So that, you know, there's there's that. I mean, and, and whether it's a thing or not, because, I mean, you could argue, like, listen, if you show up not vaccinated, I mean, that's kind of like your choice. If everybody else is feeling like they got vaccinated, they should be fine in theory, right? But. It's true. You know. um. <laughs> I mean, like, if I got vaccinated, I should be able to go there no matter what even if somebody was sick in theory right yeah. it, theory. you know what i think i think they're doing the right thing by saying we're gonna we're planning on in person but we're holding off on bad registration 100%. until we see what happens with this thing yeah. yeah yeah it's good i i think it's good and i think that uh, a lot of other big cons will follow that model too like yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if the nova opened i mean because here's the thing exactly here's the thing i love about gen con right like and we could talk about this we've talked about games right there's triple a games and publishers yeah. and there's indie games and you always cut the small guys slack because you realize half the time it's just people doing it as like a nighttime gig and they're, <laughs> it's their basement they're, yeah, yeah they're just trying to make things and we're just there to have a good time gen con is a massive you know company or conglomerate, however you want to look at it, that produces this massive event. You know what? They freaking do it well. They do. They know what they're doing. Yep. And so, like, I'm I'm interested to see how they play through this because they're not just you know they this is not their first rodeo at all. They know they know what they're doing, but is there's is this their first rodeo after a pandemic? And what kind of what kind of intelligent um, you know business can they apply to this? Hundred percent. It'll be interesting to see kind of the lessons learned from the previous year, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, now that we're like fifty minutes in, <laughs> let's talk about our we main could topic. Almost, yeah. We yeah, we should definitely hit our main topic. But what, I mean, what would we have called this episode if we just stopped? Derek? It would have been it would have been the cyberpunk rant episode, maybe. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Probably. Okay. All right. So let's talk about Warcry. So I'm call- We're calling this episode Warcry 2.0 because 
I feel like um, I don't know if this is a new addition so much as there's been such major changes within the last month or two that the I feel like the game has got to refresh a little bit. And it started with the Catacombs release uh, a couple months ago, which was essentially a new way to play the game. And the Catacombs was kind of like Hero Quest meets Warcry. And you would play one band versus the other, and it was kind of like a you know a descent or hero quest or something like that. Um, and you had to get the actual catacombs starter box, which I didn't get because it had a lot of the same terrain that my starter box had, and it wasn't offering me something um, too new for the price. Like it was two hundred bucks for the box, and I was getting maybe fifty dollars worth of new stuff. Mm-hmm. if i got it so i was like i'm gonna hold off on it and you know they released the two war bands in that book separately so you can get those separately now and i've just been waiting for them to release some of the um terrain for the catacombs in the in the book by itself um because i think they will eventually but uh that came out and then just recently within the last like two weeks they came out with faction books and I, we, we, I think we announced this last week, but they came out with faction books for Warcry and a Tome of Champions 2020. And the Tome of Champions is essentially like the um, yearly publication that updates match play rules and gives you new narratives and things like that. Um, so it's kind of like the akin to the General's Handbook or the uh, chapter approved uh, for 40K and Age of Sigmar, you know? Mm-hmm um and so yeah let's let's talk about let's talk about what these books do for we're not going to talk about um catacombs obviously because i don't i don't have that and i'm not really going to review it but um let's talk about what these faction books are what they're not and what they do for the warcry game so um you had pinged me a little while ago when these books came out and you had expressed some serious concern about these books. What what were you? <laughs> it was pretty interesting. What 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 like what was your concern with these books? And I, mean, I think it was very valid. By the way, I do think it was valid. I think it was a valid concern that I probably once I get my hands on the books will probably be alleviated. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, yeah, initially when I see this, I see faction books, and I think, yeah. oh man, they're going back to me having to pay money to collect these books to acquire rules. That apply to my faction, you know. It's it was a feeling of of going to the same thing, going the same direction that 40k is with their what do they call them battle tomes? Battle, battle t- their codexes. Codexes and then AOS is battle tomes. But, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I got to buy got, a book for my army. Yeah, and in those in in 40k and Age of Sigmar, inside those codexes and battle tomes, you have like specific rules that apply to your whole army right and you have like the data sheets and and, and war think, scrolls that apply to the units and yeah and i think where know. i was getting worried was oh man is are the are there going to be extra rules inside right. these faction books that if i come to the table to play a war cry game and this guy comes with this faction book they're going to be rules that i'm not aware of that he could have he could apply to his uh yeah an army wide rule army wide rules yeah just because they have the book right just because they have the book and that was what worried me because the thing i yeah. loved about Warcry is it with the entire your entire faction was contain, contained on a card that sat in front of you yeah 
It was just everything that was faction specific was very minimal so that when you came yeah. to the table, you could just play the game and everybody understood the rules. And it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I have to memorize all this stuff about you in order to right. play competitively against you. Yeah, 100%. And I think that when that the faction books were announced, your sentiment right there was very common among the Warcry community. That they were very concerned that, you know, there's going to be these extra abilities or rules that it was pay to, pay to win, essentially, pay to, yeah. right? You you buy the books, and now you've got an extra leg up on the person who didn't get it. Um, I, I was a little concerned about that at first, but then I saw some reviews, some early reviews of the books, and those concerns were fortunately alleviated because that's right. not what these books are. Right. And um, I think that that's a – I think it's a very good thing. Uh, at its heart, Warcry, the core rules have stayed the same. I mean, there's been a couple that have been eroded, you know what I mean, and that's or FAQ'd, and that's totally fine, sure, sure. Uh, you know, because it's like wording issues, not a big deal. But in terms of like the core rules staying the same, they've pretty much stayed the same the whole time. You know, you have like your card characteristics that tell you your movement, your uh, attack profile, your strength, your toughness, your damage. And then you have um, your faction abilities that you can draw upon depending on the rune marks that the the warriors have that are also listed on the card. So um, what I love is that uh, none of that has changed. You can still sit down with your friend, have the cards in front of you, and play the game. Not a problem. Okay, so then what's the point of the books, right? Like, what's the point of having these books? Well... Um, I've got the Harbingers of Destruction. So first off, there are four books. There's the Harbingers of Destruction, uh, which is all destruction factions. So it has um, Iron Jaws, Bone Splitters, Gloom Spike Gits, and Ogre Ma Tribes in it. So um, it's this this book is actually the smallest of the books, right? Because there's only um, there's only four books or sorry uh it's auric war clans which uh, lines better with age of sigmar and under mm -hmm. auric war clans you can have bone splitters or iron jaws so there's still four factions that you can have and again um you've got four factions in here you have um on one page sometimes two depending on how many units are in there um you have all of the cards Right. And then you have their abilities on another page that they can draw from. So the great news is this. And I think I told you this when you were starting to say, like, dude, why do we need these books? And, you know, you're like, this is driving me a little bit crazy. And I said, here's the great news. Let's say I wanted to collect all four of these factions. I wanted to get the ogres. I wanted to get, um, you know, the orcs. I wanted to get the bone splitters. I wanted to get um, the gloom spike gets as well. Well, Trying to find some of these card packs are like next to impossible now. Um, they're just really, 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 really hard to find. So, um, you know, I give me an example of one that's hard to find. Um, the it is almost impossible to find the Caradron Overlords card pack. Yeah. Okay. Like you look on the GW website and it's sold one. out, yeah. totally sold out. Um, Flesh Eater Quartz, almost impossible to find the card pack for it. So now. that one I think is in stock right now. Oh, okay, maybe it's back. Um, yeah. 
Uh, let's see. What the Zinch ones were like impossible to find for a while. Um, the Rotbringers, like for Nurgle, were really hard to find. So there's a bunch of them, and some of them yeah, come and go. Yeah. But um, like some of them, you're like, oh, uh, we ended up getting some cards for our guild con for your ogre ma tribes, and we found those for ten bucks um, because they were in stock. But I was looking at some Stormcast ones that were out of stock, and they were going on eBay for like forty dollars. And, and I'm it's like, cra- it's crazy because they're in stock right now for ten bucks. I know on exactly. Games Workshops. It's just it just comes and goes with their inventory. It, it comes and it goes. And so here's the thing: is that I I look at these books and I say, okay, for thirty thirty five dollars, forty dollars, depending on the book, I can buy that book, and I have all the card packs which are t- at least $10 each for the card packs. So, um, you know, this was this was $40. I got four card packs, essentially, in this yeah. book. Yeah. You know, The Agents of Chaos is a huge book. Like, okay, so let me, let me, let me give you a comparison. The, um, the Destruction is 64 pages, okay? The Agents of Chaos is 112 pages. Yeah, there you go. Almost because you have, you have, let's see, you've got Beasts of Chaos, Blades of Corn, and that includes the Bloodbound and Demons, right, of Corn. You have Disciples of Zinch, which include the Arcanites and Demons. So these, uh, the Corn, Zinch, Nurgle, and Slanesh uh, factions, they have a, like, the Mortal Band and the Demon Band for each of them. Okay, and then there's Skaven, there's Slaves of Darkness, Iron there's, Gold. Yeah, there's just a lot more. Uh, there's there's how many? I'm I'm gonna count it: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen warbands in here, and I've got the card packs for all of them essentially in this book. You know, so that includes all the abilities. And what's cool about these books is that I'm looking at Skaven right now. And I've got a two-page narrative background about Skaven and why they are fighting in the eight points for this, you know, in this area where Warcry takes place, like what their whole plan is. So you got some narrative, like, cheese. (laughs) (laughs) You see what I did there? Yeah. With the Skaven? Yeah. Yeah. You got some narrative cheese there. And then you flip the page, so that's two pages of, like, lore and then you flip the page and you got one page of all their faction abilities. And I've got one, two, three pages of cards. <laughs> like, because they have so many units that they can yeah, draw from. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. I've got 19 factions of that type of thing. So there's some great lore in here, you know? Um, you've got all the cards you want if you want to, like, have, have a lot of different chaos stuff going on. Um, and then at the end of all of these books, you have, well, let, let me, let me back up a little bit. You can play matched play and that's where the Tome of Champions comes in. You know, that book that I was talking yep. about mm-hmm. earlier, yep. you can play matched play and I think it's great. I think having a tournament, it's a lot of fun. You can get some real competitive builds. I don't think that Warcry is um, built for competitive play, though. I mean, it, you, can, you you can do it. I think its real strength lies in the narrative. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. I absolutely do. Yeah. You know, and it's it's more fun because then you don't have the pressure of having to build like a crazy competitive build. You can build a strong arm a warband, you know, and bring it to a narrative function. But you can also build a goofy one and play with whatever you want and still probably do okay in a narrative play. You know, and um the narrative is really what drives a lot of it and that's where the kind of the campaign mode comes into comes into effect so i'm looking at the chaos book again the agents of chaos and at the end of the book you've got a page for each uh faction so i'm looking at beasts of chaos and you've got like um name generators you've got background generators for some of your fighters that you can you can give names and and things to right so that gives a little bit of narrative flavor to to them um and then if you keep going each one of your factions has a campaign trail, essentially, right? There's um, different yeah, and this, um, things. This that is the part of Warcry that like we were just talking about, I think, is really fun. Because yeah. you get this little thing. It shows a little picture. It says, your warband is going to take this journey, right? Yep. And yep. there's little milestones along that drawn path where you yep. have specific battles um, and depending on how you win, you know, there are different out, whether you win or not, there are different outcomes written inside that little story. So it's a story specifically for you. And this is what's cool that plays out regardless of how well you do at the table, you're still participating in that story. Yep. Yep. And that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. There's some milestone battles that happen, right? They're called convergences, right? Convergence. So you, you could be playing, I could be playing my ghost boys and you can be playing your flesh eater courts and we, yeah. you know, we fight, fight, fight. And then we get to a point where it's like, okay, it's time for a convergence and you'll play your convergence. And you know, it has a very specific thing. Like it says right here, like for, um, for the Grand Plague of Vetch, which is a Skaven thing, like the battle plan, it shows you how you're supposed to set up the terrain. Yeah. It says deployment, draw a deployment specific. card as normal, uh, victory, and it tells you what the victory condition of this battle has to be, right? And then it tells you like how to basically, like this is the setup for this convergence. And if you don't beat it, you got to try it again. And if you don't beat it, you got to try it again. But you've got opportunities to retail your warband. A little bit so you're like oh man i really needed like a lot more guys to capture those objectives so let's uh drop this elite fighter and add in three more like cannon fodder guys mm-hmm. you know or yeah. something like that so you can mess around with it and they've got they've got some great rules about like you know you capture a certain amount of territories it gives you bonuses to add more fighters and you can you know and there, start are, there out... are artifacts of power yeah. and command mm-hmm. traits you can get as you progress along your journey to give, your, so, to give it more of a little bit more of uh, uh, longevity to the individual characters yeah. that your models are, you know? Yep. And the great thing is that these faction books have... Um, so let me, let me say this, too. Uh, in the previous uh, core rule book, the campaign mode was for that specific faction. So there was a night haunt path that you could do. In these faction books... Um, they are faction neutral. You can play anyone you want. Now, some of them are a little bit more tailored to others. Like Crimson Bounty is more towards a corn 
type of thing. But you could play with Skeench. There's nothing saying that, or uh, Skeench. <laughs> Skaven and Zeench at the same time. <laughs> uh, you know, you could play with Skaven. You could play it with one of the uh, like the Untamed Beasts or the Iron Golems. Who cares? Like you could do it if you wanted to. You know, and I I do like that because it's not. Um, it's not pegging you into certain convergences. You can just choose one and then play it. Go for it, you know? So, um, and the other, th- the other great thing is that um, these books, there's, there's monsters. So in 2018, maybe like a couple months after the original Warcry book came out, they released their first expansion, which I thought was really soon, like after the first after the first thing came out, right? They released Monsters and Mercenaries, and it um, allowed you to add big Age of Sigmar monsters like a Terrorgeist or um, uh, an Arachnorok spider or um a uh chimera or a hydra or something like that you know that uh, were big monsters that um you know you would have to fight a challenge battle to basically tame it into your army um it was great and everything like that but what they've done is they've split up the monsters according to their alignment and they've put them into the book so basically I couldn't take a Stormcast army and go after a Chimera that is a Chaos monster. Yeah. Right? So now I have to, like, Chaos armies have to go after Chaos monsters. And all those rules are now in these faction books for the monsters and how you can hunt them and how you can, you know, use them and all that stuff. So um, the Monsters and Mercenaries books that came out in 2018 is essentially OBE at this point. Like, it's... um, I wouldn't say it's completely useless because you can still use some of the challenge scenarios that are in there. They're still perfectly valid, um, but they're captured better, I think, in the faction books. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the <clears throat> other thing that I want to talk about, and this is this is the other big thing. Well, there's two two more big things. Sorry about these faction books. Um, the other big thing is that when Monsters and Mercenaries came out, they started allowing you to take allies into your army. And what this meant is that, like, um, Nighthaunt, for example, only had two leaders. It was the um, Grim Gas Reaper with a bell, the Extoller of Shaiish, and it was the Dread Warden, like the little dude with the flame, uh, a Chain Rasp guy. Those are your only two, like, leader options. Well... Um, they started allowing you to take more guys. So, like Night Hunt, you were able to take um, a Knight of Shrouds, and um, I think that's and like a, a Tomb Banshee or something like that. You know, and that was the Monsters and Mercenaries, and they had to be like a leader, and they had to come in, or they didn't have to be a leader, but they had to come in as an ally, and they had their own cards and abilities, and so it was almost like you had to keep track of a separate sheet just for these allies that came in. And there was also the idea that you could like, if I was playing flesh eater courts, I could also take a night hunt guy into that faction. And it just kind of narratively, I think broke a little bit. Like it didn't make a lot of sense unless you're playing chaos, like chaos. It was fine. You know what I mean? Chaos kind of all allies with chaos, but um, an order kind of all allies with order, but like death, like, I wouldn't really have like a flesh eater court, you know, uh, abhorrent, um, 
what's what's a what's a guy's name? Not a porn ghoul. Oh, the um, uh, oh my gosh, I can't say it because you're asking for it. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. The, it's uh, a the arch region. No. Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, a porn arch region. A porn arch region. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta look. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, anyway. the, the guy on the yeah, the big guy. Yeah. So the guy who's actually a vampire. Is he? Yeah, I don't know if you knew that, but the leaders in um, minus the the uh, crypt gas courtier, the leaders are actually vampires. I did not know that. In the flesh eater courts, yep. Oh, that's kind of hardcore. The crypt ghoul and the arch regent. Uh, it's the abhorrent arch regent. Yep, arch okay, arch, arch regent. So, um, like night hunt taking that guy like didn't make a lot of sense. Do you know what I mean? Like you're like, I mean, yeah, sure, I guess, but like they're all death. But narratively, like, why is this guy leading this army? Like, it doesn't make sense, you know. Um, so what they did is instead of having these like list of death allies that you could take into any death faction, they um put the allies into the actual faction choosing lists. So the abhorrent arch regent, the abhorrent ghoul king, they put a Vargulf courtier, they've got a crypt gas courtier, you know, they've got all these um things that you can um put in as your leaders now. Um, and champions essentially that were considered allies before mm-hmm. and now they're just part of your list building that you have and i think that's so much better so much better um and they've got these extra room marks so there are several of them who like the leaders now have um th- like a lot of them have three rune marks and it correlates to a very specific leader ability that they can use that kind of is a play on the system of allies before. So it's pretty good. Um, I like it. It gives you a lot of options. And um, in tandem with that, uh, you, you got a huge expansion of your leaders and kind of character heroes that you could use. But in tandem with that, um, they totally expanded uh, the units. So if I'm looking at Night Haunt, the only options that I had to take as Night Hunt before were um, the. Uh, let's see, what could I take? I could take the um, Extoller of Shaiish, right, which is the Grim Gas Reaper with a bell. I could take the uh, Chain Rasps, and I could take um, Grim Gas Reapers, and even a Mirmorn Banshee. Like, that was pretty much it. Uh, and a spirit torment. Well, now I can take Knight of Shrouds, Knight of Shrouds on the Steed, Guardian of Souls, Spirit Torment, Dripblade Harrow, Ward Executioner, Tomb Banshee, Karen Wraith, uh, Dread Warren, Slasher Crone, you know, Hell Wraith, uh, uh, Chain Ghast, Glaive Wraith Stalkers, Grim Ghast Reapers, uh, Blade Geist Revenants. Basically, every unit that I have for Night Hunt, aside from like the Black Coach, I could take any one of those units in there. Now so, let me ask: Does yeah. um, do those units follow the same? And this is what I think would alleviate my concern: Do those uh-huh. units follow the same rule set where it's just the rune icon on their card that says what's special uh, on the faction card um, gives them a gives them yes. a certain ability? 
Yes, they do. Yeah. So there's so, no additional abilities those creatures bring. So no, no. Uh, they have revamped some of the abilities to sure. add some abilities, you know, but it's the same mechanism, the yes. exact same mechanism. So and, I'm looking at the hex yeah. wraith right now, right? Um, it has a sickle, is its thing. It has a a range of two. Okay. Um, it has three attacks. It's a strength of three. It does one damage for normal, three damage for crit. It has the fly ability, which all night hunt has fly, right? And then it has kind of this like skull with lightning bolt things. And if I look at it, it means it has frightful touch, which until the end of this fighter's activation, if I use a triple, right? Right. Yeah. Until the end of this fighter's activation, count each hit from attack actions made by them as a critical hit instead. Right. And, and I think that's what I like yeah. about it is that that's that's not an ability specific to that no. person. It's only it's an ability specific to the faction that is applied to that person because of the rune icon he has. Hundred percent. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, the spirit host has the same rune icon as yep. the hex wraith. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, it's got uh. Now the great thing is like the hex wraith has more movement. It's tough. It's got more wounds, but it also costs a lot of points. Yeah. You know. But, th- so, but there's not like you know there's. When you bring this person to your warband, right. then you can add this new ability on the bottom of your card. Yeah, that, exactly. That's the kind of stuff that I'm like, ah, then you're, we're adding complexity to the game. Tons of complexity. So you don't have to do that. The only downside is that you know having those cards in front of you are great. So what I'm going to have to do with these is I'm going to have to like photocopy the sheets, which is kind of a bummer. You know what I mean? But... Um, I may, and and this is me just kind of being like super kind of proactive. I may, on some of these factions that I have, end up like scanning this and kind of making my own cards, you know, like laminating them Mm -hmm. or something like that and just having them there. So is the layout the same as in the Tome of Champions? Yes. Where it's like, yeah, okay. So where the, what the, what the, the, the ability card, which was, you know, like a, I don't know, like a three by four or something is now basically like a left column on a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Yeah. Uh, I would say that, yes, it is. Um, except that now it takes up a whole sheet because the leader abilities have its own column and the leader abilities have been fleshed out a lot more. Okay. Gotcha. So now, like I'm looking at Night Hunt right here, right? There's one, two, three, four, five, six different leader abilities. Now, if I choose one leader, right? You can choose as many leaders as you want. Well, that's not true. Um, yeah, I think you can only true. have one. You can only have icon. one leader. Yeah, yeah, you can only. You can. Yeah, you can choose um, some of them. Yeah, that's true. So uh, anyway, uh, but you know. What this means is that I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have twelve leaders to choose from. Instead, yes, of you have more options to build build your yeah. up with. Yeah, and yep. do and do a lot of stuff. And so again, there's like there's uh, six different leader abilities. You're only going to end up using one of them, though. You know what I mean? Um, in the game, because they're only your leader is going to only align to like one of those one of those leader abilities. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, what's going to end up yeah. happening is that um, over time, Warcry will age away from the cards and just get come down to a sheet of paper that shows the rules when you come to the table. Yeah, definitely. And um, you're already starting to see that. I don't know if they're like, I'll be curious to see. They, they came out with like a Legion of Nagash and a, a, um, 
Sylvaneth Warcry box, right? So it was like a Warcry starter kit for some Age of Sigmar stuff. Uh-huh. I I don't know if those come with the cards in the boxes. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it, I haven't seen anybody pick those boxes up, so I, I'm kind of curious, and I'd like to see it. I'm um, wait. I, yeah, I'm I'm waiting for them to just decide to release the rules as PDFs. I know I've <laughs> talked about this before, yeah. but it's it's so inconsistent. Like on if you go to their if you go to their store on some on some of the warbands, um, they have taken a picture of the card, the ability card. Yeah. And you could just look at the picture of the ability card. On other ones, like they don't provide right, it. Right, right. So it's like, what, what's happening here? Where's yeah. the consistency? Am the I allowed thing, to see this? Am I yeah. not allowed to see this? The last thing I want to talk about real quick is um, the Sentinels of Order, which is the basically the Order Faction Warcry book. And the only thing I want to mention in here is nah, that... Nah, nobody um, wants to talk about that. <laughs> the, the only thing I want to mention in here is that you've got you know your your normal order things like Daughters of Cain, Fire Slayers, Iden of Deepkin, Caradron Overlords, etc. You know, Stormcast Eternals, yada, yada, yada. Um, but... Half of the book, I feel like, and I'm not even kidding. Well, maybe it's not quite half. It's a quarter of the book, is dedicated just to cities of Sigmar. Um, because you can create um, a faction that's Hammerhall, the Living City, Greywater Fastness, the Phoenicicum, Anvil Guard, and do the amount of units that you can take is out of control. Like with this, you know, and um, yeah. So it's pretty hardcore. I think if I had a city's army, you know, and you had all these different factions, it would be a lot of fun. But I was looking at like, what do you do to get started with a city's army? And I'm like, I'm there's no way. Oh, there's no not. way I would get into that one unless like I had a city's army. Dude, my brain swells when I try to think of cities. It's just like, you know, <laughs> there's all right, so let's many. Just there's you know, so it's just many. all these all these different whatever's living in a city. Could yeah. be part of the city's armor, or you know, it's like whenever it's like, all right, I go into a tournament. It's like, okay, you're playing so and so on match one. They're doing cities. I'm like, okay, I have no idea what's going to be on the table. Yeah, yeah, no idea. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because you have all these units, you know, um, but the um, the uh, faction cards that you use depend on the city that you choose. Oh, wow. You know, and so, like, for example, you could get a bunch of elves, and in theory, oh, you could boy. throw them into the hammer hall, and they could be using different rune marks type of thing. So, uh, it's 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 interesting. Um, it's pretty hardcore, you know, in terms of like that. But again, um, I'm not going to wrap my brain around it because there's just so many of there's so much of it. It's very comp that one's very complicated. Everybody else is like super straightforward, <laughs> you know. Like you're yeah. like, here's your abilities, here's your cards, two pages, photocopy them, bring them to the store, go ahead and play your game. You yeah. know, like that's 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 all you have with cities. It's like, okay, well, I get to choose this and then this and then this, and um, yeah, it's more of like a matrix instead of just like a page that you're handed. Well, it's it's there for people who want to geek out in that way. Oh, totally, and use a bunch of old models. You know, right so. <laughs> with plumes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm very excited about this. I'm hoping um, that as we kind of get into the new year that we can maybe take some of these uh, campaigns that are in here and play. Play the game. 
play, play the game and like maybe <laughs> maybe play them on like tabletop simulator and do some recordings and I don't know maybe put them out there for some people to see I would love to I'd love to experiment a little bit with that and you know play some different things because I think it would be cool to like for example take a um Slaves to Darkness uh, uh, war band, you know, and run it through its scenario and every band that it plays is a different faction from a different book, you know, um, and just get a, get a flavor of how the things work. That'd be a lot of fun, I think. Would be cool, yeah. So, anyway, I think they're worth it. I just dropped probably, I'm not going to say how much money on the four, four five books well, that each, I got. Each book is about 25 to $35 yeah. retail. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not actually breaking the bank. It's not too bad, especially if you're like, listen, I I've got a lot. I've got a couple of death armies. I mean, yeah, you know, it, you buy one book and you're good to go. Yeah, it's way better than like a AOS or 40k, right? Where you're you're dropping like you know 40, 30 to 40 for a book that really only has about 15 pages in the back that you need to play the game, and for that one very specific faction. For that one specific, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, let's let's not forget, you know, how many battle tomes do I have on the shelf for when I was thinking about doing a faction? Right, I never right. did. That's you know thirty, sixty. Not, I got you know a hundred dollars of books on my yeah. shelf that I don't do anything with. Yeah, yeah. No, I got these books, and I've got the idea of like, hey, you know, I mean, I've got a couple of stormcasts I can make an army into. I've got some KO I can make an army into. I've got some beastmen yeah. I can make an army into. I've got enough for a legion of Nagash army, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Hey, I'm starting to cook with gas." Like, you know, like I've got like eight factions. So, um, yeah. So to to just to come back, step back, right? So if you are huge into lore, you know, like the AOS battle tomes and the 40k codexes are really great purchases. Yeah, because there's enormous amounts of art and lore which are really cool, and that's why you know I don't mind having those kind of books on my shelves. And you might have said this earlier, but just a quick reminder: like how much lore is there in these books versus just kind of rules and cards and campaign stuff? Yeah, so if you look at if you look at this right, the page four and five. I mean, there's a, a table of contents. Page four and five basically says. This is how you play the game, right? This is this is kind of like yeah, the sure. overarching thing. And then you get into it, there's a whole section on monsters and how you can use them. And then on page 10, it says the Warbands of Order, right? And I'm looking at page 12, Cities of Sigmar. 12 and 13 is all lore about Cities of Sigmar, who they are, what they are, like, who, like what the different cities are, like what they mean, and like and what their role is in this fight in the eight points where like this, um, this kind of narrative land that Warcry yeah. is taking a, a part in. Right. So it kind of gives you a little bit of history and enough of a history to be like, okay, that's what it sounds like a cool faction. And then, um, and then a little bit of like context about like why they're there and what they're trying to do. Right. So you can take that narrative into your battles and uh, you know you've got a little bit of purpose behind you of like why you're fighting, and, and probably every... uh, probably a nice splash of art too, huh? Yeah, I mean, 
so first off, I think GW does an awesome job taking pictures of their models, right? They've got beautifully painted models, and they always like have these cinematic mm-hmm. fighting scenes that are going yeah. on. That like if you if you actually sit down and look at like how the armies are arranged, you're like, well, that's not in cohesion, and that's <laughs> right, that terrain's yeah. blocking that line of sight. You know, that's dumb. Right. Right. So you that's got okay. that. Well, and that's then... obviously a four thousand point battle, right there. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Right, and so um, I will say that like the way that some of the models are arranged in Warcry, like you're like, oh, you don't have to worry about cohesion so much because you know yeah. it's yeah. like each individual fighter. But um, I will say this though that some of the art that's taken from the book into here, um, aside from the photos, because they're Warcry specific photos, some of the artwork is taken from other battle tomes I've seen. Ah, okay. So um, like I'm looking at a KO one, and I'm like, I know I've seen that in the KO book before that picture so but you know what yeah. they're still cool pictures hey it's great art yeah yeah absolutely so you know so they're beautiful books i mean they're like the you know i mean you know how the the books are like they're heavyweight um are they paper. are they hardback or paperback? uh they're they're paperback okay yeah um but they're still, like the glossy they're like the glossy like thick magazine style yeah. you know yeah 110 pound or yeah. whatever it is yeah yeah, so they're 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 great books, and um, I've been a big fan. Even just perusing them and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you could do that, you know, and 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 looking at it, and um, I think I think uh, I I think I told you this before that this, in my opinion, is where Warcry wanted to be when they released. They just weren't there yet. weren't there yet. So worth it. You know? Worth you say it's worth it. I think it's worth it, um, especially if you are looking at like a couple factions in the same allegiance. So, like an order, let's say you've got like a KO, a Courage and Overlords army, and a Fire Slayers army. Super worth it to get the book. You know, you've got updated rules, you've got um, you know updated abilities, you've got all the cards you need, and I mean you're you're good to go. You know. Yep. So, cool. Yeah. A lot of good, a lot of good stuff there. I can't wait to play. I can't wait to have another Warcry event. We had so much fun at our last one, and uh, you know, more factions the merrier. Yeah, good know? times. My my whole goal is to have like just a table where you have like the papers and then the models, and you walk up and you're like, choose a faction and go sit down with it. That's kind of what, what I mean? we did. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that it'll be a lot of fun to have even more options. You know. So yeah, very cool. A lot of fun. So anyway, yeah, good times with Warcry. I'm, I'm looking forward to its future. I think it's very bright. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everybody for uh, listening to me rant and rave about Warcry tonight, <laughs> <laughs> and just uh, talk about Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but thank you so much for joining us tonight. We wish you all a very merry Christmas, and uh, may all your gaming dreams come true this upcoming weekend. And we can't wait to hear about what you uh, what you unboxed and are playing at the tabletop. So have a good evening, and we will catch you later. Happy holidays.